Hello and welcome to the Dive Deep, Climb High podcast. I'm Mel Luizu and together with my guests, we explore all different aspects of leadership in higher education. With inspiring stories, practical tips and a little bit of fishiness, this show will help you dive deep into the leader you are and climb high, unleashing your power and potential. Dive deep, climb high, can-do leadership in a world of can't. Before we dive into today's episode, I just wanted to let you know there are still a few places remaining on my six-month leadership programme, starting in January 2023. Designed to help you dive deep and climb high, you will unleash your power and potential. To find out more, click on the link in the show notes or head over to my website, www.fishclimbtrees.co.uk. My guest today calls herself the Seenager or the Senior Teenager. She's an author, has a YouTube channel on Gen Next, a professional column on keeping pace with the young, and is driven to help turn generational differences into dividends both at work and at home. She was a guest on a panel at a conference I recently attended. As I listened to her talk about generational diversity, I thought her topic would be of real interest to those of us working in higher education. However, it's only as I've dived deeper into the research for this conversation that I actually realised the importance of her message, not just professionally, but personally as a mother, auntie, cousin, sibling, and godmother, I realized that our conversation would most likely touch all areas of my life. And once you finish listening to this episode today, I would strongly recommend you take a listen to my guest's TEDx talk entitled The Unaffordable Cost of Generation Gap. I feel so privileged and honoured to be having this conversation today. So please welcome Nija Singh. Nija, hello. Hello, Mel and all the listeners. This is my favourite, favourite subject, very close to my heart. I'm affected by it deeply and I love to share with others what I have seen, observed and how I've put it all together. That is fantastic. And I know that you're coming to us. You are over in India. I'm here in Kabali in Surrey. But it is Diwali at the moment, the Festival of Light. So you did pre-warn me that there might be firecrackers going off. You've got dogs that are feeling a little bit unsettled. So there may be some background noise, but fingers crossed, hopefully not. But perhaps a place to start is, and you touched on it, this is very personal to you how you've ended up in this space and how you've ended up with the the name of senior teenager or teenager. I love that. Mel, I was watching my elder girl go through certain experiences which I struggled to understand and communicate around. Now, 
I had lived my life as a parent, as a professional, by the book. And I considered myself, my husband included, we considered ourselves reasonably pretty progressive. I'd read the books, listened to podcasts, done all of that. And yes, I was ambitious for my two girls. So they went to Ivy League schools like any regular modern mother today wants. She wants that her children to operate from positions of strength. That's what I did. But in the process, I began to realize slowly that my children were speaking a different language. They were aiming for different milestones in their lives. Their expectations were different. Their value systems were radically different. And this particular gap was not the gap that I had with my mother. It was not about style. It was not about music. It was not about consumption or it was not about sexual experimentation. It went far deeper, Mel. That is when I sat up. It was about language. It was about diversity. It was about inclusivity. It was about power structures. It was about hierarchy. And here are young people for whom their personal is political very often. It was not that common when I was growing up. And that, Mel, is when I started going deeper into it, but because I realized I had to understand what was happening with my children, and which is not to say I succeeded completely, because with my elder one, it became a huge, huge challenge. Typical millennial, she internalized all that she was hearing and watching and learning at her Ivy League law school. That's how I got into the space now. Okay. So it was picking up those differences. So once you got into that space, once you realized that there was sort of differences, a, a disconnect, where did that take you on your journey to, to develop understanding? Where did you go? I would hear about uh, the next generations, the younger people experiencing a particular form of anxiety. I would hear about uh, them not feeling enough, all of those things, but I was seeing it happen firsthand with my children, particularly the elder one. Perhaps she was more sensitive, children are different, and uh, she absorbed a lot from the environment. She was an empath, and a lot of her generation, many of them call themselves that because they identified deeply with what they saw, were the wrongs around them in the world. So I'm reading about mental health, but I'm watching my child experience a mental health challenge. I'm watching her go into depression, and then I go online on Google, I just type depression, just to make sure, Mel, is this what depression looks like? If you have not seen it before, you doubt yourself. There's a particular desolate look in their eyes and i was watching all of that i was we were living it every moment and it took us it took us time almost three months to acknowledge and accept that yes this is depression and that's where it started to get even deeper try to understand the same questions man, that everybody asks the young people when they experience these challenges this person has everything she checks all the boxes they have a supportive parent, they have a great education, they are healthy in all other ways. 
but there is something going on inside them that I felt I needed to understand. And that's when I began to realize slowly with a lot of reading, with a lot of conversation with my daughters, with their friends, that the younger generation today is trying to leverage every moment. Everything has to be, well, they try to make the most of everything because those are the messages they are getting from us. So a class has to be great. Food has to be, they have to sink their teeth into the food and it has to go down smoothly. Every, every experience has to be picture book. And in that push, there is a fatigue that begins to set in because you can push only this far. Even a holiday has to look good. And it ends up in them feeling this is not enough or I'm not enough. So that is where I started to move and I kept reading more and more and well, I kept writing more and more. And what did that that knowledge give you? So you started to understand and step into their world and realize, and I think we do see it play out, you know, on, on social media, everyone's living their best lives, but actually their lives aren't aren't like that. So once you had that understanding, and I'm guessing, you know, from what you're saying, you, you were researching this, but you also had a, you know, you had the example of your daughter there. Where did that next take you in terms of bridging that gap, which is what you talk about and, and the work that you do? Mel, a lot of the lessons I learned in hindsight. Unfortunately, we we ended up losing our daughter. We lost her barely 10 months ago. And even now, even when I'm talking to you, even today, pictures, visuals come back, some of her words come back, and suddenly there's an epiphany. Oh, this is what was wrong. This is what I could have done. Typically, this is a part of grief. And this particular grief is suicide grief. My daughter died of suicide. And it's only now when you look back, yes, you were trying to be what she needed you to be in those moments of difficulties. But it's only now when you look back that you see, that you understand certain things, that this is actually what she needed. Perhaps we were not able to be there for her the way she needed us to be. And that's why her pain was so excruciating, that she felt forced to do something, to just shut down that pain. And she did that. So those lessons that I learned along the way, I try to share those with others. I try to talk to them about those experiences. And I have to say that you cannot generalize, Mel, this doesn't affect everybody. There are young people out there who are living perfectly fine, progressive, happy, flourishing lives. It doesn't affect everybody, but there is something going on today. And I will ask you, anybody in higher education, what have your interactions been like with the young people in your care? Or what does a leader today experience when they're trying to lead the younger generation? Today, there's a collapse of authority. A leader today needs to connect, number one, and there is nothing like top down anymore. And um, I do feel today a leader has to share control, share credit, share cash, definitely. <laughs> yes, and with the younger generation, you also have to share a career 
craft, let's call it, a career craft. You have to help them visualize themselves 10 years from now or five years from now or in the next one year. That's the role of a leader today. So things have really, really changed. We are in a situation today where parents are a little on the back foot. Maybe frightened is too strong a word. But yes, parents do dread any kind of parental estrangement from their children. Or they do dread their parent, their children, again, suffering from some mental health challenges because the stress is too much. And in many cases, losing lives. Wow. What a, a journey you've been on. And I must just say, thank you so much for, for coming and sharing your story, because I'm guessing that the work that you do now or what has happened to you has given you that purpose to really share your experiences and make a difference and effect change. Absolutely, Mel. There's another reason. Uh, you do know, we all know, we read the statistics that the rate of suicide, youth suicide is rising all over the world. And uh, I'm not doing this devil's advocacy. The stats are out there by the WHO, nationwide, it's all there. Now, the thing to ask is, how, how does society view this? It, firstly, it's very difficult to admit that somebody in the family lost their life to suicide. There's so much stigma attached to that. There is very little support, not just, in fact, let me correct myself, there is an increasing support for mental health challenges today thank god for that however for the suicide survivors or the person the family of somebody who's lost their life to suicide is still not there there's a huge huge stigma there's a lot of shame a lot of silence around that and this is something that gradually needs to go and part of the reason i talk about it very openly i learned bravery from my daughter because she's the next generation she was far more open far more honest she communicated with far greater integrity i would say and a lot of young people they are amazing there's so much of kindness in them such a fire for social justice we didn't have that milk my generation didn't have that we looked after our own brood, our own clan primarily, but then we were not connected also. But this generation, the younger generation, is truly, truly remarkable. That is something that we need to recognize. Yeah. And one more thing, Mel, I do think that my generation or the earlier generations, you can give them names, boomers, Gen X, the first generation to see the next generation much smarter, far more educated, far more empowered, equipped with far greater support, tech enabled, all of that, and yet feeling a little lost. They, they are meandering, some of them, and it's heartbreaking when some of them say they're just looking for a reason to exist. So they go to meditation, they go to vipassana at a much younger age, they're switching tracks, and many a times they're wondering why are they here in the first place. That's why I say this, that this gap today is far more disruptive, far more visceral, and at a far more fundamental level than we've seen before. Logically, your next generation should be wealthier, more prosperous, more, more hopeful, more robust, more potent. But you look around you and you see young people looking fatigued, tired, exhausted. 
I've had it. I quit. I can't do this anymore. These are phrases you hear reverberating around you. I'd, I'd like to understand that and if possible help. I don't know if I can correct that, but at least create awareness that this is so and this is not the way it ought to be. So for people listening to this, and the majority will be working with with young people. But as we said, you know, personally, there, there'll be parents or have younger siblings or be aunties or uncles or whatever it might be. So I think this this conversation is so important across every aspect of our lives. But for people listening to this, hearing what you're saying, nodding away as I am, people can't see that because we're on a podcast, but nodding away as I am. What are the tips? Because I know that you you are taking this work out. You are, are working with individuals and organizations. What are the tips that you give people for, for bringing that gap closer together? Yes. The main tip uh, and everything else will come out of that. The message that needs to go. Again, I'm talking from the perspective of the older generation. Of course, there are things to be said for the younger generation also, Mel. But uh, I do believe that the onus in this case is on the older generation. We are the more stable. We are the more uh, we've lived our lives. And um, we are in a relatively better position. So the onus, the reaching out has to come from the older generation. I do believe that. And what I tell the older generation is that there's a certain message that needs to go out to the young today. And that message ought to be that balance and goodness of fit at work. That is one. Balance and goodness of fit at work. Not a premium corporate job that you join and then you feel burnt out and you just quit after three years and you spend the next couple of years just recovering from that. And now you're trying to figure out what the next step is going to be. So balance and goodness of fit at work and emotional wellness. That's it. In the final analysis, these two are the cornerstones of success. Success today cannot be measured by acquisitions, by promotions, not necessarily. You may have promotions, but you're emotionally, if you're struggling, if emotional wellness is missing, if your coping strategies are missing, then things can really go all right for some of them. So balance, goodness of it at work and emotional wellness. This is the message that needs to go to our young from us from professors, from parents, from bosses, from aunts and uncles. Usually what happens, Mel, is when a nephew or a niece or the family young visit and there's a family table and maybe there's some festivities going on, we like to ask them, oh, what, what's going on with you? What are you doing? What are your plans for the future? A lot of young people don't like meeting their relatives these days precisely for this reason. They don't want these questions. When are you planning to get married? Uh, what what are your goals in the next two, five years? No, because they themselves are on the back foot many a times. They themselves are not very sure because the options are far more today. There's greater confusion. So if we can consistently tell them that as long as there's a balance in your work, there is you are a good fit, that work is a good fit for you. You don't have to be a software engineer or 
an entrepreneur or any of these high value professions and as long as there's emotional wellness emotional wellness we even though there's so much of emotional vomiting legitimately happening today mel despite that we don't talk enough about emotional wellness to our children i think that's important there's so much to to unpick there and we'll come back to the emotional wellness but going back to that that balancing and goodness of fit you know what you said there is is so profound is that there are so many more options now that actually that can create confusion and you, you know I, I guess it's like our parents saying to us well you know you have it so much better than us and that's what we do with generations we go on but actually we don't think about you know actually the options and especially what you're saying about that pressure that we often put on our family members to to conform I think that obviously I, I work in higher education I have two degrees um, I did the traditional finish school at 18 go off to university get a job do another degree but actually that that in itself is a pressure and we do expect our young people to know where they are going from a very early age and yet they've got this plethora of options and and that peer pressure to well all my friends have gone to university therefore I need to go to university or I don't know what I'm going to do so I'm going to go to university and then you've got that that goodness of fit because actually they're not suited to university they they shouldn't be there but for the ease of the options and they're not knowing what to do they choose the the path of least resistance I guess yes and Mel, I have an example, my own example, my, my younger daughter went to Princeton on a scholarship and I expected her to, when she didn't work in Chicago after her undergrad, she also got to do a bridge year program in Serbia. It was fantastic. She was in the United States for eight years and she went on a scholarship. She did extremely well there. And yet I'm glad she decided to come back. I wanted her to continue there. I said, uh, you're, you, you still have your visa for another three years. You continue working in Chicago and build yourself up professionally and maybe then consider coming back to India. She just took a decision and she came back to India. Now in retrospect, I'm glad that happened. If we had gone by the usual pressures, then the right thing for her would have been to go to the Wall Street or join one of these other companies, right? So that bit ultimately is very important because that is the only thing that you can sustain the rest of your life, Mel. And today we talk about feminism, women empowerment, but I genuinely, genuinely stop and ask myself at times, is my mother better off than my daughter? Because my daughter works so hard, the schedule is so punishing, at the law firm, they have recently put in the balcony two wrought iron chairs, one little table, telling these young people, you can use this for dating. And I am wondering, is there going to be a Juliet Romeo balcony as well with flowers coming down? It's that punishing, the schedules. And it tells, it tells on their health, right? If you don't have time for yourself, work-life balance is another huge thing. Therefore, the fit, 
And if all of us can help make that acceptable, easier said than done, easier said than done. Because even I'm talking in retrospect now, I did, I did push to get my daughter to Princeton. I did. That's how she got there. But these are the pressures on the young. They are. And and you're quite right in that we are reinforcing. If, if we don't always start it, we are definitely, definitely reinforcing it. So for you, if you saw somebody, so say I came to you and, and I was exhibiting that behavior that I was putting pressure on my children, what would you say to me that I needed to do in order to be able to let go i would tell you mel that you need to appreciate that there is a lot of pressure on your child already from the environment and you adding to that pressure is making it that much worse for the child today there's this analogy that parent or a boss i would say boss but a parent definitely a parent needs to be a parking slot for an overheated car. So what is the overheated car? The child. The child is already so stimulated, so anxious, so keyed up. All they need is a place where they can cool down. And if there's no place, if they enter the home and the first thing you ask them is, did you get an A today? Did you get a star today? Or what did your teacher say? Did you win a trophy today? That's not helping. Then the children stop wanting to come home. They dread entering that front door. And I read somewhere that today, you look at your child, no matter what the age, and let your face light up like a lamp. Like in the same manner that it lit up when you first saw the child when they were a baby. Let your face light up. But usually what happens is we give them a once over and we are thinking, okay, how did the test go? Is that application ready? The LOR, letter of recommendation has to be put together, all of that. So I would say, do know that there is a lot of pressure on the our young from the environment. And today, Mel, a young person has four parents. So you are one parent, then there's a Google, Google parent, there's a peer parent. There are, there are yeah, there are three parents. And no, there's one more parent. The fourth parent is the peer. There's a peer parent also. I love that. Imagine this this avalanche coming from four directions. And uh, we can't blame the children. And uh, I, I again, I read something I'd like to share that, well, that today you, a mighty adult, is somebody who gives their young permission to be absolutely their worst sometimes in their presence. I wasn't able to do that, Mel. I would get scared if my daughter would tell me something uncomfortable. If your daughter tells you, Ma, I'm thinking of ending my life, what are you going to do? Suicidal ideation is far more common today than it used to be, at least expression of suicidal ideation. And in many cases, there's a term where you can look it up, quasi, quasi suicide ideation, quasi. What is quasi suicide ideation is? All right, I'm a young person. Uh, I'm not too kicked about life. I have no intentions of taking my life. But if for some reason I don't get up in the morning, I don't think I would mind. So it's a quasi, a quasi kind of a sense where there is a loss of what I call wonder 
and just this apathy kind of an indifference a kind of a numbness yeah so i mean for people listening to this i guess what we're doing here is giving them the context of how some of our young people may be feeling when they they start their journey at university or they might go to counseling because they're struggling and understanding this and i love that idea that you know our young people have four parents um because just saying you have four parents I mean, I'm just sitting there and my head's just about to explode. I, I have two parents. That's quite enough. Thank you very much. But but actually, that gives some perspective, I think, and some insight into just so much of, of what young people are then dealing with to then come into an academic environment where, again, there's the pressure to perform and not just that now, but but there's the return on investment, isn't there? Because they're, they're either getting into debt or their parents are funding it. So there's that added pressure again that certainly wasn't there when I, I went to university. And this is all adding and hopefully it's creating a picture that, that helps people um, understand just exactly what is going on so can we for a moment return to that idea that you spoke about about emotional wellness and how can we help our young people develop that emotional wellness delayed gratification well it's one thing that and and we are we are at fault the 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 parents parents we we're all at fault this is how uh, we've brought them up because again it's we're also products of our times and um, if you wanted to do the best for your children and you wanted to, to make things uh, easier for them and we did all of that and uh, today something like delayed gratification is a concept which is very difficult for a lot of young people to appreciate and understand so it's what i want now can i put off my whatever it is that they're wanting to do for pleasure or enjoyment. Uh, delayed gratification, everybody understands that. And uh, today we are in a situation now where uh, emotional wellness, there are um, all kinds of uh, courses available now for children to get into and to learn the ropes and understand what emotional wellness is all about. So if you start with this basic presumption that life is the stoic kind of definition that life is not easy i know this is not a politically correct statement and a lot of young people are not brought up to think that life has to be wonderful life has to be beautiful they have to be happy all the time but what if we were to tell them that happiness has to be earned every moment of your life and happiness is very ephemeral and life is actually supposed to be it it brings surprises it brings obstacles not everything will go the way we want it to go if we operate from that principle then perhaps we will instill in them that stamina to keep going even in the face of difficulties right now we are not raising our children to be what we call resilient there is impatience there is impatience with inconveniences. Again, it's a cultural thing, maybe in certain cultures or certain societies where the comforts are not that easily available. 
they are far more resilient in many ways. And emotional wellness, again, Mel, the role that you yourself can play in your own emotional wellness, that your emotional wellness is not available outside of you. It has to come from inside. It cannot come from a swanky car that opens up like that. It cannot come from a relationship. It cannot come from the latest gadget that you buy. It has to ultimately come from you have to feel good enough. And what can you do to do that? So very traditional, I say very traditional methods of feeling good about yourself. So one is exercise or writing, self-expression, meditation. They are empty number. These are basics. Most of the people, all of all the people who are listening to this will know this. But a routine, a lot of young people today are not able to stick to a routine. There is sleep deprivation, a big issue. Of course, the work culture, outsourcing, all that happens, but uh, they're not sleeping enough. Yeah. So it is that, I guess it's the realism of what the world is like. It's going back to those basics that life isn't easy and it isn't, it hasn't been and it never will be, I don't think. But also that encouraging them to look internally. And I think that's a big one for me is helping people to look internally to start to figure out what it is they need for themselves yes mel and also learn techniques of getting past that moment reframe reframe problems reframe inconveniences reframe disappointments so there are specific exercises that will help you like i said get past and tell yourself that this too shall pass everything passes maybe a more philosophical uh long long term long range not range of the moment but a long range view of life what life is about which brings in spirituality now so all, all these all these there, there are so many aspects to emotional wellness but this that um, i'm enough and uh, the wellness has to come from me and um, delayed gratification i consider very important and a routine and uh, taking care of yourself Fantastic. So this is your journey. This is this is your path. Where do you want to take this? You, you know, the research that you've done, the experiences that you've done. Where do you see yourself taking this? How do you see yourself sharing this with people? I see a disconnect, a dissonance between uh, I see situations where Generations are not communicating enough, not making an effort to understand each other enough. And I'd like to address that through my uh, all the work, all the content I create, all the talking I do, all the writing I do, Mel, and um, sessions that I do with young people, with parents, with even managers of millennials in companies where uh, age diversity or the clout that... Uh, generational or generational diversity can wield is not appreciated, understood, or addressed adequately enough. They are still on paper, a lot of this generational diversity, generational differences, these are just emerging as we see, we sense that they exist, but a structured approach of recruitment, let's say, of uh, your training, your uh, management policies, all these are, I think, just beginning to be talked about and uh, i would like to get involved in all of this that's the plan mel yes 
fantastic. I'm sure I have no doubt that you will achieve that. So changing tact for a moment, when have you had to dive deep and what impact did that have on you? When did I have to dive deep? I had to dive deep. I began to dive deep actually when in 2013 because there were two incidents. One was my daughter's incident that I just shared with you. And the second incident was at an Air Force station. My husband was in service in the Indian Air Force. He's a pilot and I've spent my life moving around with him. And uh, this particular station, there was a crash, a MiG-21 crashed and the 25-year-old pilot lost his life. This was in a state called Rajasthan in India. Now, what was shattering about this incident, crashes happen, they should not happen. They've happened in the past for technical reasons, sometimes pilot error. This particular incident happened because that young pilot was up at night, sleep deprivation and social media addiction. He was talking to his girlfriend, chatting with a girlfriend late into night. For me, that was a jolt because when I got married to my husband and as soon as our first child came, he picked up his pillow and walked out the door. He said, sleep was very important for me because they're flying sorties the next day. And here is a generation that is up at night. And imagine the loss that really, really hit me. Crashes always hit you when you're on Air Force bases. This particular one, because the person was so young. And my daughter's incident had happened. So these, both these incidents happened in 2013. And I would say that is when my diving began, that's when the deep diving started. Thank you for sharing that. And it continues. So, so you're still deep diving now, almost 10 years later. Even more so, even more so. Yes, that was the beginning. And uh, the more I read, the more I watch, the more I study, uh, the more there is to share, the more there is to address the more there was to acknowledge. Thank you. So when have you felt like a fish that climbed a tree? Fish that climbed a tree. It always makes people chuckle. I, I know, I know. Again, you know, all my experiences, Mel, have to do with these incidents, which were literally define what came after those incidents. What I'm doing now is my fifth career. So I've been in advertising, relations, journalism, TV production, all of that. I felt I was a fish climbing the tree, actually in trying to communicate with my elder one. I just, I don't know how, it was very, very, very confusing. It was heartbreaking because I couldn't understand this need to identify with all kinds of uh, social justice issues outside, for instance. There was a particular incident here in India at night, there was a protest and I was scared it would turn violent, but my daughter wanted to go there. She wanted us to pick up the phone and call our friends and ask them to do something because her young friends who were protesting there were being brutalized. And to that, we responded by just sitting silent and glum, we did nothing. And she was crying. So I was, I, I have been, since 2013 until last December, I have been like a fish trying to climb the tree, trying to get through those ideas, trying to connect, trying to create a connection 
that's 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 been uphill man trying to clamber up the tree thank you thank you so much for for sharing that i mean just such a deep conversation uh, that has come out of your your own journey that you know the 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 tragedy that the hard um path that you you've been on if people want to learn more and i know you have loads and loads of resources how can people get in touch with you reach out find out more they can uh, write to me and shall i share an email nirja at nirjasing.com i can put that in the show notes so and and i've got all of your i've got your tedx talk i've got your website i've got all of those links that people can get in in touch with you would you, what what's your preferred method email linkedin what email and linkedin i'm absolutely fine brilliant i will make sure all of those go in the show notes and as i've said i really do recommend if you've been captivated by this conversation then i really really do recommend that you go and take a listen to nirja's telex talk it shares i think in more detail probably than we have here your journey and add to the journey that you've been on so it just leaves me to say a massive, massive heartfelt thank you. You've given me so much food for thought, just not in terms of higher education, but my own role as a parent. What final words of wisdom would you like to leave people with today? My final words, Mel, would be that keep reminding yourself that uh, you need to be a mighty generation. And uh, remember that it's not about knowledge so much as it is about communication today and kind gentle open communication and also listen more than you talk and finally mel say only 25 percent of what you want to say particularly when you're trying to communicate with the next generation Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Dive Deep, Climb High podcast with me, Mel Luizu. To help build our community of leadership listeners, please leave me an Apple podcast five-star review. Remember, our fishy adventure doesn't have to end here. Connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram and Twitter. Links are in the show notes. Dive Deep, Climb High can-do leadership in a world of can't.